I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and executive VP of Digital Media at Engage Media, Inc., and author of the new book, The Invisible Brand, Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data and Machine Learning. By 2020, the average person will have more conversations with AI bots than with his or her spouse. And today, researchers have found that 93% of 8- and 9-year-olds won't share embarrassing issues with family members or friends, but they will with Alexa. Clearly, we're only beginning to understand AI's power and potential consequences. William Ammerman pulls back the digital curtain on a transformed industry in which machines, not marketers, have become the ultimate arbiters. Ammerman is the Executive Vice President of Digital Media at Engage Media Incorporated and has previously held leadership positions with Tribune Media, Hearst Television, and Capital Broadcasting. Over his career, he's managed digital advertising for hundreds of television stations and their websites, mobile apps, and connected platforms. Welcome to the show, William. Nice to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. I guess the first question is when we talk about AI, and we're, I think, right now talking to a lot of consumers, uh, does everybody really understand what AI is, what it means, and how it impacts not just marketing, but just us, the general public consumers? What is it, and how does it impact us in, in a general sense? Great. Uh, so most consumers have a sense that they're being watched and that they're being uh, you know, pride for data and that people are, you know, in exploring and trying to figure out who they are through their digital technology. But I think the, the actual mechanisms for making that work are somewhat mysterious to most people. Most of our experience about artificial intelligence comes from the movies. And, you know, of course, the AI in the movies is always smarter than us, better than us. Uh, and that's scary and that's intimidating. The reality is a little different from that. AI in its current state is in what we call narrow AI, and narrow AI applications do very specific things, but they're not general AI in terms of, you know, some robot that is smarter than us and can outsmart us and blend into society. Um, So the reality of where we are today is very different than the way it's portrayed in the movies. Nonetheless, we do have to start educating ourselves about how AI works and how it's being used to influence us and change us. And, uh, and that's you know, why I wrote the book. I wanted to help people understand how it works. So let's talk about how it works. Let's go. Let's really maybe start with number one, what do we need to know? You talk about how it influences, how AI influences us and how it changes us. So how does it influence us? How does it work? What's it doing? I'll start with a, a, an illustration from my own personal life. I was invited next door to my neighbor's house for cocktails. I was, you know, sitting on a couch in their backyard, beautiful afternoon. <clears throat> and their four-year-old son came over and tugged on my sleeve as if he wanted me to go with him to do something. And I was worried I was getting lured into a game of Candyland or something. And I was kind of reluctant. And his mother gave me a reassuring nod and, you know, gestured to go with him. So I followed him and, and there on the counter in their kitchen, they had just bought Alexa. So there's an Amazon Echo sitting on the counter. And this little boy, you know, gleeful expression on his face. He's bouncing on his toes and he's got his hands on either side of Alexa on the counter. And he says, Alexa, play Star Wars. And Alexa dutifully responds, you know, John Williams, the theme from Star Wars, 1977, dun, dun, you know, plays the fanfare from Star Wars. 
And, you know, this little boy takes Alexa through her paces. And while he's doing this, his mother walked in and was kind of watching adoringly from the, from the, you know, the door of the kitchen. And he, he, you know, he lasted about 10 seconds on Star Wars before he was on to Finding Nemo. And as he was doing this, I was thinking to myself, it's really fascinating that a four-year-old can manipulate the user interface of this device. Of course, it's not a, it's not a graphical user interface. It's not written words. It's speech. And at that point, I started thinking, you know, speech is something that we encounter early in our lives. We, we start to develop speech at a year, a year and a half old. We don't develop reading until four or five, six years old. And that's a big gap. It's more innate. It's something deeper in us. And so while I'm having this inner monologue with myself, he leans forward and he says, Alexa, I love you. And I, I froze. My brain seized up. And I looked up at his mom who had this, you know, kind of seconds earlier had this like adoring expression on her face. Her expression had gone to almost a pained expression, a little maybe jealous. And she turned quickly and walked out of the room. And I was left standing there with this little boy who's, you know, you know loving this new device that he's got. And my mind was reeling. I was thinking to myself, wow, okay, I'm writing this book about artificial intelligence, and I've got to, I've got to address the fact that we are starting to be empathetic. We're starting to relate to these devices to the point where we're experiencing emotional connections to them. And that creates a, a vulnerability of sorts. So I think that's a good starting point to start by saying the more human-like our interactions with technology become, the more persuasive that technology can be in our lives for good and bad. And we have to acknowledge that and we have to understand how that works. So acknowledging it and understanding it will help us to become what? Less vulnerable if we're more knowledgeable, if we know what's happening, if we're more cognizant of it. But how do you do that when you start? He's four years old and it's going to start younger. And that's that's fairly old. I have one year old twin grandsons who are already grabbing my iPhone and pressing <laughs> and they almost, they really, in, a, in two months, they're going to know how to use it, the iPhone. So it's, that's the kind of stuff, I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that you're talking about. So w- what do Absolutely. we, you know, what, yeah. So, you know, when we think about where we are with the technology, I have defined kind of four trends that I want to have a conversation with. I, I want people to have a conversation with me and with each other about these four trends. And I'll, I'll outline them very quickly. The first is that we have learned to personalize information. If you sit next to me at an airport and we both have our laptops open and we both go to the same website, we might see different information customized to our needs. If we go to a, a sports website, ESPN, for example, you might see different scores than I would see because of your interests. You might see uh, you know, different ads on the New York Times com site than I would see because of my past surfing experience versus yours. So we've learned as, a, as an industry, as a marketing world, to deliver personalized information. That's trend number one. The second is that we've learned how to use persuasion as a tool very scientifically. We can A, B, test things. We can use messaging in different ways to see how it affects different audiences, and then we can optimize advertising campaigns in the direction that it influences people 
you know, most effectively and most personally. Um, and then the third trend is, of course, we've got now machine learning. We're able to actually use technology that will learn how to persuade us using personalized information. And the fourth major trend is that we're now talking to our devices. We're talking to our devices in our cars. We're talking to our TVs. We're talking to our cell phones. And as we talk to our devices, we have to understand that the voices that are answering us are designed to learn how to persuade us using personalized information. And the more I can help people have a conversation about what that means and how it works, the more I hope to help people see the influences and the interest groups and the brands and the politicians and the governments that are trying to talk to us and influence us through this technology. I'm hoping to kind of reveal something that's invisible to show people something that's hidden. And that's why I called the book The Invisible Brand. Yeah. And you have an, an, you have a uh, chapter in the book, The Role of uh, well, privacy, propaganda, and politics. And so, you know, politics, obviously, it's always there, but it's front and center right now. Can, you know, in, in terms of what you've been talking about and the influence of AI and all of these different areas, let's talk politics. What's going to happen? Let's talk about it, like, specifically in this election or at any election, but let's say in a presidential election. What's the impact of, of, of all of this on our voting, well, certainly. you know, who we're going to vote for or how we're going to vote? certainly the politicians have been getting better at using this type of technology to influence us. Um, you know, politicians, uh, this doesn't, this isn't just, you know, 2016 and it's not 2020. This goes back years. They've been figuring out how best to use uh, social media as an example. So Tim Berners-Lee said something very interesting. Uh, Tim Berners-Lee is known as kind of the father of the World Wide web. And he said, if you put a drop of hate into uh, into Twitter, it seems to propagate strongly. Um, and he compared that to a drop of love. He said, if you put in a drop of love, it seems to dissipate. And I think what's interesting is that we, you know, politicians and, and uh, people that are trying to leverage this technology to influence us have figured out that angry is a better mode for communicating messaging than positive messaging. Positive messaging seems to fizzle in social media, whereas angry or hateful rhetoric seems to propagate more strongly. And I think that's a fascinating insight that we all need to be aware of. We all need to look inside ourselves and say, why am I so fired up and angry all the time? Why am I so fired up and angry about politicians and politics? It's because we're being manipulated by the invisible brand. It's actually using our emotions to harness energy that, you know, maybe isn't the most positive energy that we have. And so, you know, if I would caution people or help people see something in their own lives, I would say that look at what this technology is doing to you personally. Look how it's making you feel. If you are agitated constantly and angry at some politician, you feel very partisan, you feel that there's this other, this, this group, you know, this imaginary group of people who are out to get you, and you're furious at them all the time, look at the technology and look at how it's playing a role in changing who you are. And I would say that's cautionary. I think, you know, you don't want to be changed in that way by the technology 
use. Do we have the capacity, though, to do that? I mean, you say, okay, take a look at the technology, take a look at what it's doing to us. So step by step, how do we do that? And most people don't know really too much about technology and how it works. I mean, you become engaged. You don't really, I mean, you use your computer. You are affected by all of this TV, the Internet. But do we really uh, understand it? I mean, can you simplify it for us? Give us examples of what we can do. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> a big purpose of the book, of course. Um, and yes. So one step, and I, I don't mean this to sound overly salesy, but, you know, educate yourself about how the technology works. This book is a good one, uh, but there are others, and there's lots of ways that you can um, learn more about the technology and and how it's influencing you. I'll give you an example of something that happened very recently. It was a study that came out, but you and your listeners will, you know, kind of instantly identify this experience in their own lives in one, one way, shape, or form. So a group of study participants were exposed to a little robot, and this little robot uh, was designed to have a conversation. And so the participants had this conversation with this little robot. They're having just a polite conversation. And the longer that conversation went, the more persuasive that robot became in their experience. And the way they proved this was at the end of the experiment – The people running the experiment had a a control group and, of course, a study group. And the control group was turned to turn off the robot, and they reached over, and they simply turned off the robot at the end of the experiment. The study group was told to turn off the robot, and the robot protested. It said, please don't turn me off. I'm scared of the dark. And a huge number of the study participants in in the study group refused to turn the robot off. They were having an empathetic relationship. They were feeling empathy for a little robot that was scared of the dark. And so this little robot that's scared of the dark should tell us something about ourselves. It was a machine programmed to do certain things. It's not really scared of the dark, but our experience, our empathy is being used to manipulate us by the device. So the first step in understanding all of this is to recognize that we are the target of persuasion, of persuasive messaging. Someone out there is trying to change how we think, what we do, how we act, what we buy. And those influences that have a motive are using technology to change our behavior and to change us. So step one, recognize that that's true. Recognize that our empathy is a hack. It's a sort of backdoor into changing us and controlling us. And once you've made that step, once you've made the, the recognition that this technology can hack our empathy, you'll start to you know, learn how you can better protect yourself and the people around you. William, that is that works for us as adults, but I'm going back to your example of the four-year-old, and it could be a three-year-old or even a two-year-old. What do you do about four when the little boy says, you know, I love you, Alexa? I mean, because he <laughs> or she is not going to have the insight uh, ever, that we have as adults, but yet you don't necessarily want to keep him or her away from the technology. So what do you do when you start out with these babies uh, who are being influenced by AI? 
So think about the impact on a child who uses a device that grants his or her every wish. If, you know, if I start treating the people in my life the same way I treat Alexa, Alexa, do this, Alexa, do that, Alexa, do this, Alexa, do that, that turns me into a very, very demanding and, you know, not so nice person. And so one of the things I think we all need to be cognizant of is that the way we are teaching ourselves to interact with technology isn't necessarily the way we would want to interact with other people. And so we have to start demanding from the technology providers themselves that they put certain safeguards on these. So one of the recent developments is that people who sell, you know, uh, voice assistants and not necessarily just Alexa, um, you know, there's, there's Google Assistant and there's Cortana um, from Microsoft and there's Siri, but that voice assistants themselves should have safeguards with children. And some of those safeguards might be to reward children when they use polite words. If they say please, if they say thank you, that they, you know, are encouraged through some, you know, reward systems. And they're already working on that because they recognize the dangers of creating these, you know, children who are essentially little monsters <laughs> who demand things constantly. And, you know, Alexa is all too willing to just keep answering questions indefinitely, which is great for an inquisitive mind. But when you start becoming super bossy with your devices, that might translate into being super bossy with other children, with, you know, personal relationships. And as we get more, uh, you know, deeply involved with our devices in this technology, that's going to have an impact. I mean, think about where we are today. Get in your I want to just before you, you go on. Your, I just want to respond to that because yeah. I think that's very interesting. When yeah. you're talking about okay, you don't want this this device to help the kid to be boss man and bossing everybody around and a nasty little kid. But on the other hand, if you're teaching the kid the uh, maybe a 180 from that, thank you and you know very, be polite. I'm thinking morality and ethics and and different ways of uh, imparting that to children come into play as well. I, I, what was flashing through my mind was like you have the Stepford wives kind of doing everything they're supposed to do, uh, which, you know, for their husbands. Uh, that's not my morality or, okay, it may be somebody else's. So that also, if you're going to start, I mean, influencing children in that way, I don't know if there's an answer to that, but um, it there's just so much, I guess, involved in in this kind of um, influencing these mind influencing. I'm calling our psychotechnology. Um, uh, just a comment, but um, and I don't know exactly. I guess it will evolve, right? I mean, first you have to be aware that this is happening, and then w- what plays out will evolve um, in, in terms of these companies and the demand, I guess, from the consumer. Well, you just used an important term, psychotechnology, which is a, a, a contraction of psychological and technology. So if you put the words psychological and technology together, you get psychotechnology. And that's really where we are. We have, uh, we're at the, the dawn of psychotechnology. And I use the word because we as a society need a word so that we can start understanding it and talking about it. And um, so using the word psychotechnology is the first step in being able to identify it at, at play in our lives. So, you know, you're, you're right on the, the cusp of this, you know, transition in our lives. Today, you're in your car and you are looking for the closest Thai restaurant. So you say, you know, where's the, 
the nearest Thai restaurant or directions to the nearest Thai restaurant. But tomorrow, the questions you're going to be asking are going to be more sophisticated. As we use the voice-based interface, the voice user interface to interact with our machines, we're going to start asking questions like, what should I study in college? What job should I take? Who should I date? You know, who should I marry? And when we're having those kinds of conversations with our devices, we are opening ourselves up to a huge range of influences. And people need to be aware of who it is they're talking to, who's on the other end, who's answering. And, um, and so thinking about how that changes us is really important. Uh, the last chapter of the book, you, you got into something just a second ago that was almost spiritual in dimension, you know, and the last chapter of the book is the God algorithm. The intention of that chapter is to suggest that even our religious impulse, our impulse to connect with the universe around us and with our you know, fellow man um, is something that potentially is a vulnerability, that we could be hacked by finding spiritual satisfaction through a connection with our devices, through having these types of conversations with machines. And we have to constantly be aware that there is somebody on the other end of that conversation who has an objective, who has a desire to influence us, and that we're not just having a conversation with uh, an unobjective machine. Yeah, I think that's so important. Like you just said, yeah, we're talking about psychotechnology. We have to define it. If we don't have some kind of a definition, then it's very difficult to react to it or to, to make decisions or make choices. So we start with that definition. Um, it's so, uh, Let's talk about it. I mean, you're talking about we're influenced in every area of our lives. And I, I think that's really an important point when you're just asking Siri about what restaurant to go to. That's one thing. But if you're asking her about much more important questions, even healthcare. I guess it just covers the whole gamut, right? And you have to really understand that that, that Siri isn't some kind of a, what, uh, I'm thinking the Wizard of Oz, right? The, um, <laughs> behind the green, <laughs> I mean, all, yeah, talking to you, all these the images. Yeah, behind the curtain, right. Um, so you kind of have to keep, I mean, your book is great because, I mean, obviously it brings up all of these topics and much more. I, I strongly recommend it, but um we have to start with with things like your book, for instance, and what is happening besides, I mean, obviously you're connected to all of uh, this kind of technology and the people and the marketing and everything. So besides your book, uh, what's happening in, in terms of being aware and making people aware about this kind of, of uh, influencing technology and marketing? Sure. There's, there's uh, examples of this, in the news all the time. I'll just give you a, one quick one, which is very uh, illustrative. And that is, you know, a few months ago, Christie sold a painting that was painted by artificial intelligence. And you might ask yourself, how on earth does a painting get produced by artificial intelligence? And I'll answer that question very quickly and it'll help you, you know, understand what's going on. So uh, there's a technology called GAN and GAN, which allows us to create two different algorithms, which are nothing more than little routines that a computer performs, a list of instructions. And one of those algorithms is designed to create lots and lots and lots and lots of different images. And the other algorithm is used to judge 
which of those algorithms will be popular, sorry, which of those images will be popular among art buyers, okay? So you have one creative algorithm and one algorithm that judges. And working together, one's creating lots of combinations and the other is judging which ones are going to be the most popular. Working together, those two algorithms produce artwork that human beings find pleasing. And in fact, Christie's sold one for about $40,000. So when we start thinking about that as a micro example, we can start to see so many other examples of that that are going to take place in our lives where you have one creative algorithm and one algorithm that's judging which ones are the best and using the output from that to please humans. Um, so you can imagine you can use that in a recommendation engine that might tell you what movie you might enjoy. You might, uh, you know, purchase, uh, you know, flatware for your kitchen table based on an algorithm that is designing flatware based on, you know, kind of what it thinks humans might enjoy. So when we start to look at the range of things, the range of applications for this technology, we can see it touching us all throughout our lives. And, and that's another important fact that this technology is new. It's relatively new in our experience, but it's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. This isn't a phase. This isn't a passing fad. This is something that's permanent. It will be influencing our lives long after, you know, we've become uh, more accustomed to understanding it. It's something that's going to be influencing us into old age, and um, helping us with memory care long after our own memories have failed us. Uh, so this is permanent. This is a permanent, you know, this is the new reality that we're living in, the new normal. So it's permanent, it's serious, and so we have to take heed, I guess. We only have a couple minutes left, and so... Let's talk about, oh, I want to mention your book, obviously, again, The Invisible Brand, Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, and Machine Learning. And we've been talking to William Ammerman, fascinating book. Um, What websites can we go to to get more information about you, about the book, about what you're doing, or about what other people are doing in regard to (laughs) AI, psychotechnology? Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, the simplest uh, resource is my website, which is... um, my first initial, last name, so W for William Ammerman, whammerman.com. And there you'll find my author's site, information about this, and information about my blog and uh, other resources that I've created around psychotechnology and, um, and the book, The Invisible Brand. I would also say that, you know, in terms of where people can get information about this technology, There's a lot of university courses, even online courses that are now being taught. If you have a a high school student or a student in college, I highly, highly recommend that you look into whether your student's uh, university offers programs that would help them better understand artificial intelligence. And they don't have to be engineers. Uh, I have written this book so that the first half of the book helps people understand the technology. The second half of the book helps people see how it's being applied. Um, but if I can do it, your, your children can do it. And, uh, you know, our next generation are so much smarter than we are. You know, I was going to say, maybe it's if our children can do it, we level. can do it. <laughs> I'm just changing <laughs> it, right? If, if a one-year-old can do it, maybe we can do it, or hopefully we can, or even a four-year-old. Maybe. Yeah. William Ammerman, thanks so much for being on the show today. I mean, it was great information. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. 
I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 